Hello and welcome to the Huntsman World Senior Games Active Life. My name is Kyle Case and I'll be your host on this amazing journey as we attempt to help you get the most out of your life. Joining me in the studio today is my co-pilot, Jeff Harding. Jeff, how are you doing today? I am well, Kyle. I'm doing well. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm, I'm actually doing good. So I thought you off to do a straight answer, don't I? Well, sometimes. I, I'm always curious how you are doing. <laughs> yeah, I bet you are. Bet in, you more, are. in more ways than one. Yeah, so. <laughs> being in the office next door to mine, yes. Hey, um, we're right in the middle of summer. We are. Just like smack dab, it's hot outside, it's, it's, the, it's a great time of year. Yes, it is. Um, there are a few things, I think, that say summer quite like biting into a beautiful pink watermelon wedge on a hot oh, day. Oh, yeah. Doesn't that sound good? Oh, yeah. Do you like watermelon? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Did yeah. you know, though, Jeff, that there are actually loads of health benefits of eating watermelon? You know what? I don't even care. I'm going to eat it anyway, but, but share, the, share the reasons. I yeah, so this is like just icing on the cake for you because yes. not only does it taste good and it's just fun to eat and it's a great summer food. Oh, yeah. There's lots of good stuff. The experts say that it's not just for kids. No. It's for everybody. It's not even just for summer for that matter. Dr. Lisa Young, who is a registered dietitian and an adjunct professor of nutrition at New York University, says watermelon is good for everyone. And uh, we're going to find out some of the benefits of eating watermelon Starting right now. Well, great. Are you ready? I'm ready. Lay them on me. This is all according to Shape Online Magazine. The first one is that it's low in sugar, but also high in nutrients. And flavor. Which is a good combination, right? Yeah, that's And high great. in flavor, too. That's right. They say there are only about 46 calories in watermelon per cup. Compare that to blueberries, where there are 86 calories in a cup of blueberries and about 56 per fruit for one peach. So, you know, not massive, massive differences, but it's low in calories, which is good. It's also especially low in sugar for a fruit. Mm -hmm. And like all fruit, that sugar is naturally occurring fructose, which is way healthier than the added sugar that we see in so many of our foods, especially our processed foods. Right. In addition to that, watermelon is also high in vitamin C, vitamin A, vitamins B1, B5, B6, and beta carotene lipopene, potassium, and magnesium. So there's, there's, there's an alphabet worth of vitamins there. <laughs> there's tons of good stuff. Also, I don't know if you knew this, but they've, they've found that watermelon seeds are actually surprisingly healthy for you. And it doesn't grow watermelon in your belly. And it doesn't grow watermelon in your belly. Um, but yeah, the vitam- vitamin uh, that, that you will find in watermelon seeds are vitamin E and also um, some other phytonutrients. So some of us like to spit those out. I think that's kind of the, the common way to eat. Yeah. A watermelon, but hey, if you eat them, eat the I, seeds, I, I guess do. there's some good stuff for you in I'm there. Just, I used to do I'm just too lazy to spit them out, so I'll just swallow them. <laughs> just go for I it. I don't huh? bite them. I just swallow them. There whole. you go. There you go. A couple of other things about watermelon that you might find interesting. It uh, might help fight disease. Really? Which ones? Yeah, well, several things because it's high in antioxidants, oh, namely really? the vitamin A and the vitamin C that I just mentioned. It mm-hmm. may help to reduce the risk of chronic diseases such as heart disease and even cancer. In fact, some studies have shown watermelon has a more unique kind of lipopene, which is more readily available for your body to absorb and which may help fight metabolic syndromes like oxidative stress. We mentioned cancer already. It can help you with cardiovascular disease, even diabetes. So there's a, a number of diseases that watermelon can help you out with. Uh, there was an, a preliminary research study that they did at Oklahoma State University and the University of Colorado that even suggests that watermelon may help shift the gut microbiome of both type 1 and type 2 diabetic mice. So they, really? haven't, 
They haven't transferred yet to human trials, but they're finding that it's good for that, that gut microbiome, especially for diabetics. And on top of that, watermelon also contains the amino acid citrulline, which potentially increases nitric oxide levels, which in turn dilates your blood vessels, which in turn helps lower your blood pressure. Wow. So who knew I did not all these great benefits of eating a piece of watermelon. And and it and if you've been out exercising, it it's great for the, the recovery. It is, it is. I'm gonna talk about that in just a oh, second. Before that though, I want to talk about how hydrating it is, which is the one that we all think of. Yeah. It's it's got water in the name for goodness right, sakes. Right. It, it must be hydrating, right? Watermelon is made up of over ninety percent water and is one of the most hydrating foods available. Uh, you shouldn't trade in your eight glasses of water for all watermelon juice. You, you still need to drink the water. That's important. But considering the fruit is most often consumed on hot summer days, it might help you stay hydrated. A um, couple of other things uh, that they found about watermelon that I found interesting. Uh, in huge doses, it could help you be a faster athlete. Wow. Did, did, I have now, no, was that one you would have thought of? No, because usually when I heat a lot of watermelon, my, I feel very you slow and sluggish, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it depends, it depends <laughs> on, I guess, uh, maybe the, the shape that you're starting in. But, That's uh, true. In 2015, they did a study in the Journal of Applied Psychology, and they found that L-citrulline supplements can help improve your oxygen uptake, and that improves your high-intensity interval training performance. Now, in fairness, that study that they did, that research study, used tablets of L-citrulline, but watermelon is the most abundant dietary form of that particular amino acid that's out there, Wow! and the theoretical science does hold up. The amino acid may help increase nitric oxide levels, delivering more blood and oxygen to your system, like we just barely talked about. However, it's fair to note that this study only looked at 10 athletes, just 10. So it's a very small study, and the findings haven't really been replicated, though they were supported by a 2017 study review. The reality is that you'd have to drink quite a bit of watermelon juice, two and a half liters, which is a considerable amount of watermelon juice uh, to, in order to get the citrulline that the athletes had in the study. But it's an interesting thought about... Um, you know, helping you run faster through a amino acid that's available in the watermelon. And then finally, Jeff, you mentioned this one earlier, watermelon could actually help you recover from a workout quicker. And so once again, this was a super small study that they did in Spain in 2013, but they found that athletes who drank 500 milliliters of natural watermelon juice and then went out on an all-out, hard-as-you-can-go exercise bike ride they saw a lower recovery heart rate and less muscle soreness 24 hours later. And this is probably thanks to that super bioavailable citrulline that we've been talking about in the last two items. But this study is interesting because the athletes just drank two cups of watermelon juice. So it wasn't the uh, two and a half liters that was uh, required in the other study. Just a couple of cups of watermelon juice and it can help you recover from your workout quicker. Great. That, and, and, I, and I've used it before, and it does work. Good stuff. So, hey, get out there and eat some watermelon. That's right. Today's guest is a friend of the Huntsman World Senior Games. Mr. Lamar Hudson is a foot specialist. And today we're going to talk a little bit about how important to our overall health and wellness our feet can be. Lamar, thank you for joining us today. Happy to be here. Good to hear your voice, Al. So uh, you're joining us by phone, and I understand that you're on the road a little bit. Uh, wh where are you at today? Actually, I just left Detroit, and I arrived here in Minneapolis, and I'm uh, just pulled into the airport. So I pulled off so I could talk to you guys, and uh, looking forward to uh, trying to move in and finish my foot problem. 
Good, good. Well, we're glad you pulled over. That's <laughs> that's uh, the safe way to have that phone conversation. So, yeah, Lamar, let's talk a little bit about common foot-related problems that, that are out there. I know that there's a bunch of things, and let's talk a little bit about what they are and maybe more importantly, some of the things that we can do to help offset some of the challenges or the problems that come with some of these common foot problems. Let's talk about one that I hear about kind of regularly and that is plantar fasciitis. What is that? And, you know, what are the effects? And then how do you deal with it? About 20 years ago, I ended up um, experiencing plantar fasciitis for myself. It's the reason why I became, uh, I got into the foot care industry. Um, plantar fasciitis, the tendon that attaches the head to the metatarsal to the heel of the foot, it makes up the bottom portion of the foot. It's called the plantar fascia tendon. And what tends to happen is with repetitive motion, that tendon begins to rip away from the calcaneus. It causes an extreme amount of pain. Most people describe the pain like someone stabbing them in the bottom of the heel with a hot nail. Worst case scenario, when you sit down for a few minutes and then you get back up to walk again, once again, the symptom kind of exhibits itself. There's a number of ways to treat it. The most effective way that I found, um, most times people would suggest take a water bottle with ice and roll it and stretch it. There's some boot things that you can wear in the middle of the night that actually hold the foot in a certain position. But um, what I found to be the most effective way is controlling the motion when you're actually walking or running or participating in the athletic activity. So customized insoles actually was the solution that I found for my particular case of plantar fasciitis. Um, and it, it worked wonders. The problem goes away pretty quick or very fast if you uh, once it's actually treated with a customized insole is what I found. And is that, well, I want to ask two questions. The first one is the, is the insole something that you wear in your everyday shoes? It's just, it just becomes uh, a part of your shoe. You put it on and that helps offset some of the, the pain that you feel. Or do you only use Absolutely. them in specialized shoes? Actually, you wear it with every day. Okay. I like to use the analogy that customized insoles and shoes are like a pair of eyeglass frames and lenses. In other words, your shoe is like an eyeglass frame. And we want to put a device in there that corrects your individual foot problem or your individual concern. So addressing whatever the biomechanic problem might be, it might be pronation or supination, uh, overpronation or oversupination, which creates the problem for you. So customized insoles, um, customized insoles are a custom design device that will address and uh, um, improve your foot's biomechanics and reduce the, the injuries that are caused by repetitive motion. So do most people get plantar fasciitis? Uh, are, are most of the people who experience it, are they, are they athletes or is it just the common everyday walking around repetition that creates the problem? You know, the funny thing is that um, right around 40 years old, between 40 and 60, most people start to experience plantar fasciitis. So it's something that happens over um, after the first 20 or 30 years of activity that it happens. That's just normal activity. Some athletes, professional athletes and otherwise, tend to actually uh, have it um, occur to them uh, sooner because they're adding that much more strain uh, or that much more activity uh, to their feet, so therefore they're going to experience it faster. I see. Um, so they may be predisposed to it, but the bottom line is it's a matter of activity and a repetitive motion that creates the problem. So other than just uh, sitting down on the couch all day, every day... <laughs> With your foot on the ottoman. <laughs> With your foot on the ottoman. Is there really anything that you could do to prevent it? We, we've talked about the treatment of it, but is there anything that you could do to prevent it? Stretches or, I, I don't know, what, is, is there anything out there? 
the stretching works to a certain degree, but the problem is that inevitably, because of the fact that we're walking on flat, hard surfaces, uh, we have varying types of footwear, it's something that will become a part of, um, like, um, once you turn around 30, 40 years old, it hits us and hits people uh, quite frequently at that point. And the best treatment for it is to address the biomechanics of your foot and prevent the damage that's actually causing that tendon to rip away from the bone. Untreated, what tends to happen with plantar fasciitis is it creates a condition called a heel spur. So in other words, the body, as the tendon is ripped away from the bone, it mends by adding more calcium, and that calcium pulls into a spur, which actually is why people have heel spurs. Mm. Then the next stage is going in for surgery, and you start the process over again. So the best treatment is the best offense would be to find a proper-fitting shoe and also find a pair of insoles as a preventative or a prophylaxis to actually address the problem before it becomes a problem. That makes a lot of sense. You're listening to the Huntsman World Senior Games Active Life, and we're visiting with Lamar Hudson about foot health. Uh, we talked a little bit about plantar fasciitis. Another one I wanted to touch on is hammer toes. I'm, I'm familiar with that. Uh, I've seen that in sandals uh, everywhere that I go. What, what do you do about hammer toes? Hammer toes. You know, um, it was funny when I first heard that. Of course, we thought about our, uh, the great MC Hammer, and I thought it had something to do with what he was doing, the amount of dancing he was engaged in. But the great I later found MC out Hammer. In life that, no, that was a myth. The reality <laughs> is that plantar fasciitis, excuse me, um, excuse me, hammer toes are caused by the fact that the toes are dorsiflexing, which actually causes them to pull up and they look like little mallets, little hammers. So once again, to address that, you have to offload the pressures that you're putting on your foot, and that's actually achieved through uh, a customized device. So, when when your when your your toes kind of, as you said, the the tendons kind of pull up, and it creates a um, a, a hammer type situation on those toes. When you if you use a customized device, does that help straighten your toes out, or does that just help offset some of the problems that happen with that 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 curling up? It is a preventative for the problem, okay. and it actually addresses the acute condition that people feel in terms of the experience of discomfort. Um, what the toes are not meant to bear the full body's weight. So what tends to happen is people find that their toes are actually trying to offload the pressure around the head to the metatarsals. So therefore, putting the proper support underneath the arches, most people think that there's only one arch to the foot, which is the one on the inside, but there's actually four. There's the medial, the lateral, there's a transverse, which is actually across the metatarsals, and then there's a tarsal bone arch. And then there's also a fifth position of the foot that involves the heel. So the foot needs proper support, and without that, it begins to compensate. So I'd say that hammer toes is a compensatory problem, it's caused by the fact that the toes are actually digging in, trying to actually help offload, and also to help you maintain your balance. Your toes are actually the key factor for balance. Your your heel hits the ground, but when you actually get to the end stage of your walking, the toes are there to actually help stabilize you. So if you're finding that you're developing hammer toes, it's, it's an overuse condition, and um, it's something that's indicative of the fact that the person would need some type of support to actually help their foot um, not overwork in that way. Interesting. Interesting. I, uh, like I said, I've, I've seen that condition. Um, so it, it, you're, you're talking about it, it kind of just needs to be prevented for, with, a, with a, an insert, a, an orthotic insert, as you said. It, 
does does everyone need to have an insert in their foot or like or in their in their shoe or is is everyone eventually going to end up with hammer toe if they don't or like how does that work? Well, I guess I'd say that um, if you notice the the incidences of uh, hammer toes and also plantar fasciitis, once again, they all happen around the age of forty. Hammer toes tend to actually be a more, uh, it happens a little bit further down the line. So when a person's around 50 or 60 years old, some athletes, once again, they experience it sooner just because of the amount of wear and tear on their feet. But, yes, having um, a corrective device like an insert for your foot, Now I don't mean to be overbearing about inserts, but I look at it, like I said, like a pair of eyeglasses. My vision is important, so I need to have a corrective lens. There's no one-size-fits-all shoe that can actually address a particular problem um, because I may have one foot that's flat and the other one is high. Therefore, the shoes can't address my individual needs. So that's where it becomes the need for, especially if you're an athlete or someone that's competing at a pretty high level, you'll want to take the time and the care to actually find a properly made pair of insoles to address and prevent the biomechanics that lead to the deterioration. They don't happen overnight. Yeah. You don't have these problems. You don't wake up one morning, all of a sudden your toes have curled up or you develop plantar fasciitis. <laughs> right. It is a process that happens over time. So the fact that it happens over time is indicative of the fact that it can be prevented. Interesting. Okay, that makes sense to me. Let's move on to a couple of other uh, foot-related problems that we want to touch on. Achilles tendonitis. What, what is it? What are yeah. we talking about there and, and, and what do we do about it? Um, actually, I know there was a professional basketball player in the last year or so that actually had that happen, and it's a, it's a really scary problem because what tends to happen is you may think, I'm not doing anything at all. You might be in the middle of a softball game or at a basketball court, and you're playing, and you take a step or you go to jump, and the next thing you know, pow, someone shot off a gun. No, the tendon that attaches to your calcaneus and actually is the major lifter of the foot rips away from the heel bone, and it rolls up the back of the leg. So the calf muscle is not functioning properly because it's not attached to the uh, its insertion point, which is the heel. So um, that's, once again, another problem that kind of starts to manifest over 30, 40 years old. But it also manifests itself in some short-term symptoms, like people who have what they call a Hagelin's deformity, or they call them a pump bump. You get a little knot around the back of the, uh, the heel of your foot. That's actually a precursor. It's letting you know that that tendon is actually rupturing and the body is actually redeveloping calcium to try to remend it. Um, but if you can address that before it becomes a problem, those, normally those little twinges of pain and discomfort are your precursors that let you know that this is actually starting to develop. It doesn't come on as something that you're going to know in the next day or two it may happen. It can happen at any point in time. So the critical thing to do is to make sure that you, once again, have a properly pair, uh, a proper pair of footwear that you'd wear. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. But most importantly, your feet are unique. They need a specific type of correction. So getting a customized device built properly to address that will actually address and or prevent it. Excellent. That makes sense. I want to talk about one more problem, then we're going to move on to balance and, as you said, shoe selection, a couple of other things. Talk, talk about bunions. What are they? What do we do about them? It's a, um, it's a deformity of the forefoot where the first, the first metatarsal ray and the great toe, they basically deviate. The big toe kind of turns in, and the first metatarsal ray points out. Now, bunions have a couple of different phases, but the general feature, nature of them is that it's a calcification of that joint. 
you can usually identify that you might develop a bunion because there's a callus that develops on the great toe, right on the side of it. And it's actually all a matter of walking. When you walk, your great toe should bend up about 30 degrees in order to allow the leg to move properly. When it doesn't, you turn your foot at a slight angle, and instead of rising over that joint, uh, dorsiflexing it, you b- roll off the side of it, and that's what causes the force that bends the joint, creating the bunion. Okay. So once again, it comes back to we have to actually correct the biomechanics of the entire foot. The foot's pretty complicated. It has 26 bones in it, and there's a lot of moving parts, and it compensates. Your body will actually adjust and compensate in order to do two two goals. One is keeping you upright and keeping you moving as long as possible. So therefore, um, finding a way to maximize your biomechanical function and prevent those injuries from happening uh, is um, the, the best way to actually deal with it. Once again, bunions also, they don't happen overnight. It may take 20, 30 years to get to the point where you actually develop it. I was reading an article also about a young lady who said that her entire family, they got together at a family gathering, 20 people stood up, they took their shoes off, and everybody had bunions. (laughs) And um, she was saying that people were saying, well, your parents didn't make a good choice in the shoes that you purchased and so on and so forth. And she was really frustrated with that. She said, that doesn't explain why everybody from my grandmother down to my children had this problem. Yeah. There's a genetic predisposition that people may have. Your feet may just be designed to actually, that because of the repetitive motion of walking, they will develop. It might be something where you have a second toe that's longer than the first or other factors that we can go into later. But the bottom line is, Something that takes a long time to develop is caused by the walking. Yeah. That repetitive motion is the creation of the injury. And I call it a third-level injury. The first thing is you get calluses. The second thing is tendon problems like plantar fasciitis, Achilles tendonitis. And the third is when you develop problems like hammer toes or bunions where the bone is actually changing shape. So once again, all of these progress over time and they actually take more time to get to the bone deformation versus that of the tendons problems and then also the short-term things the pain and discomfort calluses and such that you might experience so So, the short answer to your question is i always tell people there's two ways to avoid a bunion one is to stop walking the other one is have a pair of devices made by an orthotic made for your foot a customized insole made for your foot that actually will address the problem so we're running a little short on time, but I want to cover two important sure. topics. Number one is we've talked a lot about getting a, an insert. Where would people go to find an insert? Very good. You know, there's a lot, a lot of information out there about inserts, and actually I think in the last 10 years or 20 years there's been companies that come on television and everyone's advertising something or another. Um, to educate the uh, everyone that's listening, I would actually encourage people to do a couple of things. One, customize insoles are made based on your individual foot. So if they make the insole by taking a mold of your foot, well, if you have a foot problem and I'm making a mold of the foot, you actually are copying the problem to a certain degree. Usually your foot's up in the air, you're not weight-bearing, so there's no indication of what's actually happening. The second way that people get inserts is usually they buy them over-the-counter or off-the-shelf or they go to a store and they say, we have this special insert that's made for your particular feet. But if it's already prepackaged, they couldn't have gotten your feet in right. that particular box. The short answer, shoes are like eyeglass frames. We want to put a proper lens in them. Shoes have to be 
neutral in order to not overcorrect or undercorrect a particular foot. So finding a shoe that's neutral and finding the correct device that actually address your individual problems would be the best option. That makes sense. I, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Lamar, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. And we uh, look forward to seeing you guys in October. Yeah, we'll see you out here in St. George in October, and uh, maybe we'll have you come back and, and talk a little bit more about the importance of balance and the importance of keeping our feet healthy. Thank you so much. All right, thank you. Bye bye, Jeff. Kyle, we're over halfway through July. Yes, we are. Well over halfway through. You know what that means, right? That means that we're also getting closer to the games. We are getting closer to the games. It's also time to get registered for the games. Remember that you can save $20 on your registration fee if you register before August 1st, which is just a few days away. So don't delay. We're on track for a participation record this year. Don't miss out. It's easy to register for the Huntsman World Senior Games. All you got to do is visit SeniorGames.net. Click on Register. The process is simple. It's fast. It's secure. And before you know it, you'll be ready to become one of our more than 11,000 athletes that will compete this year at the Games. The dates for the 2019 Huntsman World Senior Games are October 7th through the 19th. Remember to tune in live next and every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Mountain Time on AM 1450 or FM 93.1 for the Huntsman World Senior Games Active Life. You can also subscribe to our podcast anywhere that podcasts are found. Once you've subscribed, give us a rating, write a quick review. You can really make a difference in helping us spread the word. You can also find this and previous shows right on our website, which is once again SeniorGames.net. So check it out. Jeff, our inspirational thought for the day. The moment you think of giving up, remember the reason why you held on so long. That's right. Until next Thursday, stay active. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.